Hello, friends. Uh, welcome to this edition of War Lions Radio. Before we get into it, just want to give you guys a little bit of a disclaimer. We recorded this episode about Penn State's incoming defensive recruiting class prior to Sean Spencer leaving Penn State to join the New York Giants. Uh, we're all super stoked for Coach Chaos. I think he's going to do great things there. But just wanted to give you a heads up that within this episode, you're going to hear a couple of references to Coach Spencer. Uh, we apologize for that, and we hope that other than that, you guys enjoy this episode of the podcast. Thanks. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this edition of Royal Lions Radio. I'm your host, Bill DeFilippo, joined tonight by my co-host, Matt DeBear. Matt, what's going on? Just uh, living the dream in the Hampton Inn Grand Rapids North, watching uh, Michigan run away from Nebraska in the second half of oh. Big Ten college basketball. They are running away with... Uh, I-, I was actually paying, like brief attention to that just because I have a co-worker who's a Michigan a, a big Michigan fan and like this game if Michigan doesn't win it their season is more or less toast like it went and, from like right. three Michigan up three to Michigan up 14 very fast okay and th- like they're doing it without Xavier Simpson or Isaiah Lippers so like I-, I would say good for Michigan but I generally root for bad things to happen to uh to Michigan athletics so well, I, but at the same time, like I don't like much things about Nebraska's general aesthetic. So um, let, let's have, let's hope for a nice zero-zero basketball game there. That is certainly not going to happen because they have both scored points as it is the second half. But let's uh, let, let's stop talking about Michigan basketball for a moment, even if that is my fault. Uh, instead, talk about Penn State football. Uh, we're doing our two-part National Signing Day extravaganza podcast spectacular thing. Uh, We're not going to do individual podcasts for each kid uh, in the recruiting class because while that might be a little more fun and a little easier for y'all to consume, uh, that is hell. So what we're instead doing is we're breaking this up into defense and offense. We're actually going to go with defense first. Uh, We're recording this on Tuesday, January 28th. And there was some big news about one member of Penn State's recruiting class that we're going to get to in a second. But, Matt, before we dive in to the various players at the various positions, what I want to do is just get some general thoughts on this defensive class. And you and I were talking a little bit before the pod, and we kind of came to this agreement, and we meant this as a really, really good thing. That there are one or two guys on this defensive class which has uh, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 12 guys in it who we think are likely, we, we can probably project out pretty safely that they're going to stay be starters. But as we look through the rest of this class, it's a lot of guys who seem like they are going to either be guys you take chances on because of their potential, or they're going to be guys who fill out the depth chart. And we mean that in the best way possible. Yeah. I think the, the first part of what you said there is really what jumps out to me for the most part with probably 80% of the, the kids in, or more in, in the defensive side of the ball in this group is potential. Um, there are guys and I'll, we'll bring it up right now. Curtis Jacobs is the one that jumps out off the page to everyone um, was a newly minted five-star by uh, two, four, seven sports today on their own rankings. I think he's now 24th in the country overall nationally. Um, but aside from him and maybe a guy like Enzo Jennings, who's top 150 roughly in the country, there's a lot of guys that certainly um, have, have that, that word potential to become, become big time players down the road. But I think, whereas when you look at previous classes, especially the, over the la- the previous two years, you have more jump off the page starters. There aren't guys that you look at them right now and say that guy's going to be a two year starter. That guy's going to be a future NFL draft pick. There are certainly guys like that in this group, and we'll talk about some of the the traits that each one of them have um, as we work through the the p- position by position here in a minute. But for the most part, it is um, a uh, you know, low floor, high ceiling kind of group where you've got a lot of guys that if it all comes together physically, um, mentally, you know, learning positions and things like that can certainly become elite players, but save for, for those couple of guys, there isn't that, that top to bottom jump off the page. These guys are going to be household names, um, at this point. And, and like I said, I think 
when we we are talking about this group in two or three years, there's going to be a handful of guys, at least from this group, we're going to talk about here over the next little bit that become those names, um, but just a little bit different from what we've for for in, to some degree have come to expect under James Franklin, um, where they where they're recruiting with more of the big names um, as far as other programs and guys that are top 200, top 100, top 50 nationally. This is more of a, a depth building and, and potential laden group. It's interesting because like I, I'm going to go to the other side of the ball for a second, talk about a more, a, a larger football thing here, which is that when you think of quarterbacks and you think of the phrase game manager, like that's usually used as a way to, kind of talk down to a guy when really if you're given the title of game manager it's usually because you're just an a person doing okay things on a really good football team and I think that's kind of that sentiment kind of applies with this defensive class because when we look at it it doesn't seem like the kind of with again one or two exceptions in Enzo Jennings uh, and Curtis Jacobs it doesn't seem like the kind of class where like we're going to be raving about guys in it turning into first-team All-Big Ten caliber dudes. But the strength of, say, the 2016 Penn State team was that it was able to take off its starters every now and then and put on those second-unit guys, and those second-unit guys were able to get, get the job done. This past year's team, when Micah Parsons needed a blow, they were able to put Jesse Lukita on or Brandon Smith on when uh, Jan Johnson needed a boy. They were able to put Ellis Brooks on. And there was obviously a drop-off because it's not starters, but it's still guys who were able to give positive contributions to your football team. And I see that a lot in this class. Uh, you, you know, like you mentioned, Matt, they're the guys who are going to be a little bit bigger projects. But th- there is like that middle... <laughs> <laughs> there is like the upper class of player in this class. There's the lower class, the more potential driven guys in this class. And then I think there's a pretty strong middle class of dudes who are going to, who project out to be interesting depth pieces, guys who can make spot starts to use a baseball phrase, those sorts of things. And it's weird because I think, it's really interesting, Matt, just as kind of a general thing, but uh, something that was certainly evident on the defensive side of the ball. It, it seemed like there was a bit of a sentiment that I've seen among some Penn State fans, obviously not this large, overwhelming uh, vocal chorus of Penn State fans, that, you know, they were in on some of the biggest names in college, in recruiting this year. I mean, obviously, the one that everyone's going to go to is Brian Breezy, who ended up going to Clemson, even though there was a spell where it seemed like Penn State was his number one target. A uh, few other kids who uh, were really interested in Penn State to one extent or another, you know, uh, Mikhail Sherman type kids, someone who pops into my mind. Uh, Derek Wingo was a former commit here. And I think it's easy to see that Penn State is number 13 in the national ranking, number three in the Big Ten ranking, and see that Ohio State and Michigan are ahead of them and get a little bit upset. Um, I don't think that sentiment is necessarily off base because, again, they didn't land some of the big fishes that they were in, especially in on, especially on the defensive side of the ball. But I, I still think that this defensive class has the potential to be one that is really, really productive for Penn State for the next three, four, five years of football. Is that something you'd agree with? Yeah, I, th- I think what I, I was trying to, to say along those same lines earlier was that, you know, for the most part, these guys are, um, there, there's this that, that middle group that you were talking about, Bill, that is going to, to make up the the bulk of this class. And I think out of that group, you're going to have guys that, that exceed expectations to one degree. And you're going to have guys that, that don't meet expectations to some degree and a lot of in the middle. And when you talk about, um, and we're going to get into it here. There's one position in particular, I think where that stands out above everything else that it's, if you're not landing those big fish, this is, this is kind of the, 
the appropriate plan B, especially when you look at the makeup of Penn State's roster currently, um, where you you can, for lack of a better term, take more of a risk, if that makes sense, with guys that um, you're knowing that inevitably, you know, completely 27 kids in this class, knowing that um, probably your your degree of misses is going to be a little bit higher just because of the 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 current talent level and and state of of the class um i don't think i explained that very well but you're you're taking on more projects guys with with really really high ceilings but that floor of of what they're going to be is much lower than than probably um like i said we've been become used to here over the last few years but at that same time i think it's um it's it's how you build depth on a football team, and I think they talked about that as a coaching staff back in December when a lot of these kids signed. Yeah, and that's a position that I think kind of exemplifies that uh, is defensive tackle. We're going to go position by instead of going uh, player by player like we have in the past. We're going to go position by position, starting with defensive tackle, uh, a position that I think does a pretty good job uh, of kind of summing up. This general point, there are five guys. Um, well, there are five guys who make delicious cheeseburgers and French fries. But there are five guys in this class who project out to be uh, defensive tackles, uh, even if they are currently a defensive end. That would be Cole Brevard, four-star recruit from Indiana, the number two hundred three player nationally. Uh, Fator Mulba, who three-star recruit from from Harrisburg. Uh, number 799 nationally. Those guys are early enrollees there on campus by now, and they will eventually be joined by Koziah Izzard, four-star, number 237 nationally uh, from Maryland, Amon Vanover, three-star, number 422 nationally from New Jersey, and Brandon Taylor, three-star, 588 nationally from Ohio. And Matt, when I look at this group of defensive tackles, uh, I look back on last year's class, and it kind of reminds me of that in a bit. Uh, last year's class, Hakeem Beeman and Devon Ellis, two good players. Uh, whether or not they are able to become starters, who knows? But they do seem like the kind of guys who are going to be pro- be productive. They're going to get snaps, that sort of thing. And I see that in a Brevard and an Izzard. And then you have... Uh, Last year was Joseph Darkwa, who was a bit more of a project because he was coming over from Germany. But Brandon Taylor, I'm in Vanover, uh, and both of them are defensive ends who are going to be moving inside. And then Koziah Izzard, who kind of falls into the in the Fatwar Mobile currently on campus. Those guys seem like they're a little bit more of projects who have to learn and get molded into football players. But to one extent or another, they all seem like guys who... There's something about them that leads you to believe that they could be contributors, whether or not they're starters, we'll find out down the road. So what are your general thoughts about this class of defensive tackles, uh, you you know, the five guys we think are going to be lining up on the inside for the Nanny Lion defense? I think this is really the position um, on defense that kind of underscores that that pretty obvious strategy from the outside looking in of – Okay, we're we're not getting those those top fifty type players at the position. How do we compete with the programs that are? And I think you you see it in these last couple of classes. You get guys that that have that that lower ceiling in a sense, but a higher floor. That's a guy like Cole Brevard or Kazai Izzard. I think kind of are what they are. Um, they will certainly improve as they you put on better strength and and you know, work under Sean Spencer going forward. Um, but then you have guys like Brandon Taylor, I mean, Vanover, um, who are both defensive ends currently that seem likely just based on on their size at the moment are going to grow into defensive tackles. And then a guy like Fator Mamulba, who is the ultimate, in, in, a, in a very um, similar sense to Joseph Darkwa, a true project, you know, com- really, really high upside, but we just don't know. He's an 18 or 19-year-old kid that, you know, has to, to learn how to play football at this level and, and get bigger and stronger and, and take advantage of his natural athleticism, but learn how to, to channel it into, to, um, to, to big 10 football. But I think defensive tackle probably more than any other position. And we've, we saw it with the, the, the three elite teams in the playoff LSU Clemson and Ohio state, you win 
at that level, certainly you need the elite athletes at quarterback and wide receiver and in the skill positions. But I think more than anything, it is, you know, what we've come to learn about football at its very root from the time we started watching it is you win football games for the most part up front. And that's with elite offensive line play and elite defensive line play. And I think especially elite defensive tackle play, um, and there's only a handful of those those top 50 can't miss kind of guys that already have a, a, an elite college football body, already know how to play the position, you know, or have that natural talent. And everyone wants them, and it's really hard for for everyone to get them. And so I think what you've seen Penn State do is realize, you know, acknowledge that you need elite athleticism at that position. And they've gone about it by finding these guys that they think they can, can essentially grow into the, that, those kinds of players. And time will tell. I think we saw it with Kevin Givens, um, Super Bowl participant Kevin Givens with the San Francisco 49ers, came to Penn State as a defensive end and became one of the more productive defensive tackles in the Big Ten by the time he left after the 2018 season. And I think that's that's what you see in a general sense with this group. Not that, that we're saying any of these guys are going to turn into that, but they all kind of possess that that raw athleticism, um, especially some of those guys that are are more more in the project category. If they put it all together, they can become what some of those elite level players are right now. And that just requires a level of patience. And I think what James Franklin and this coaching staff have been able to do is build up the depth all across the roster. And we'll talk about it position by position as we go through. They've built up the depth everywhere at every position where they can afford to wait two or three years on these guys because they have guys ahead of them that either are further along in their development from when they got here or guys that came in more ready to produce and, and, a, and obviously a combination of the two as you work your way from the, the top to the bottom of the depth chart it gives you the, the the luxury of not having to put any of these guys in until they're ready because you've done such a good job recruiting and developing ahead of them on the depth chart yeah and kevin givens uh decided to look him up i've I, it's funny because I forgot he was a linebacker recruit, uh, three-star, number 883 nationally. Uh, but they put the work in with him. They were able to mold him into what they want, needed him to be at defensive tackle. And he ended up being a really, really good player, someone that the team really missed this year. And he's uh, you, you know, he's 60 minutes away from uh, ho- hoisting the Lombardi Trophy. So uh, come to Penn State if you were a project defensive tackle because you will play for a Super Bowl sometime. Uh, I, I am glad what, what you mentioned about the importance of elite defensive tackle play and how teams that are able to get that, uh, it, it just... If you can win those battles up front, it's something that is huge, huge, huge for your, cl- for your entire defense. If you can get an opposing offensive line to dedicate three guys to blocking your two defensive tackles, you know, have a running back that has to stay back to make sure not one of those defensive tackles aren't able to get through. You're getting one-on-ones with your defensive end, which is a position that Penn State always seems to have plenty of talent at. You're able to get free rushers, which is something that we know Brent Pry loves to have. And with Sean Spencer, I, I think we can agree to one extent or another that the defensive line wasn't uh, as dominant as we expected it to be this year, but it was still by the numbers a very productive unit. And if they're able to, if Koziah Izzard and Colbert turn into guys who are reliable, steady defensive tackle options, you are able to be more patient with a Mulba, with a Vanover, with a Taylor. Let them develop, let them learn, let them grow. Uh, you kind of touched on Mulba, Vanover, and Taylor, Matt, and how you they're guys who need to kind of learn the game a bit, uh, especially at this level, get their bodies to a position where they can contribute at this level. I want to ask about Izzard and Brevard. Uh, Izzard, defensive end, who's probably going to move inside, he, he's... 280 pounds, so he's he, he projects as a defensive tackle uh, once he gets to do a college strength and conditioning program and put some weight on. Brevard, uh, per 24-7, 6'3", 305 pounds. He's a defensive tackle through and through. When you, 
it, with anything that you've gotten to watch and see out of these guys, what leads you to believe that they are going to be players who are able to consistently contribute uh, in the middle of the Penn State defense for the entirety of their time? Well, not for the entire, whenever they're needed uh, to do that during their time in Happy Valley. I'll start with Izzard, who I think um, kind of epitomizes the the challenge of recruiting defensive tackles um, and, and projecting them and evaluating them. Um, he was a guy a year ago at this time, or, or maybe a little bit longer ago than that, um, as, a, as a high school junior, was among the top 50 or top 100 players in the country. And a big part of that was he was bigger and faster than everyone else. And obviously that you want to be bigger and faster than everyone else. But what happens with a lot of these guys is they, they plateau and the rest of the class catches up, you know, essentially they hit a growth spurt early and they become more a young man than a, a, a high school kid faster than, than their peers. And I think Izzard is that to some degree. Um, I think he, he didn't show a step back. I think he just kind of, um, was caught from behind to an extent. Um, he's, he's a, a powerful guy. Um, he's quicker than you would expect from a guy who's pushing 300 pounds. Um, and I think he's, um, one of those guys and it sounds very cliche, but you know what you're going to get. He comes hard every, every play you don't see, you know, this is, you know, you're going from highlight tape. So take this with something of a grain of salt, but you don't see a guy that, that is taking plays off. I think he's just, you know, kind of a relentless player. Um, I think he's a guy that, um, you'll see rotated in, especially early on in the year, just to kind of get his feet wet a little bit. Um, but what excites me about him the most is he's, he's just, been a real consistent player he's been a guy that didn't vault up the rankings he's not a guy who who tumbled um when, when all was said and done he's you know ultimately a, a top 250 player in the country he's one of the top 25 to 30 defensive tackles in the country and he, maybe he's not top five to top 10 like he was but he he acquitted himself pretty well as a senior this year and then brevard is just kind of your, your classic um space eating big body um you know obviously a pretty athletic guy for his size but um just kind of looks the part, you know, you, you look at these guys and they, you know, on highlight tapes, and he, he looks like a, like a big time football player. Um, I think he, he excels certainly more as a, as a run stopper at this point, just because of, um, his, his raw size. Um, and a big part of that is certainly, um, you know, just being physically bigger than, than a lot of other high school players, especially interior offensive linemen. Um, He's another guy that I think will certainly get a chance to play early. It'll be interesting to see how he progresses. There, there is playing time up for grabs. I think um, as we get through spring practice, we'll potentially see a couple of spots in the depth chart open up with potential transfers. Um, but he, he kind of fits the mold of that one technique defensive tackle to a T. And um, I think what, among other things, excites me about that is his, his role is predefined. He's not one of these guys where is he a one? Is he a three? Is he moving from the outside to the inside? He's, he's a true one technique tackle all the way. And I think that's um, when Penn state's been at its best up front, they've had a guy like that. And I think um, to some degree you could, you could point to some of the struggles this year up front with not having a guy that really excelled consistently in that role. Yeah. While you were speaking, I went and I looked up, Koziah Izzard's uh, ranking history. I didn't realize he was the number 33. Now, this is back in uh, November of 2017, so obvious gigantic grain of salt here, but uh, was his was number 33 player uh, in, number 33 recruit in America. Uh, he then fell into the hundreds, got back up as high as 133 in November, in uh, yeah, September of 2018, tumbled a bit. Uh, he is now at 240, which still, I'll, I'll happily take a, I will happily take the number 240 player in the country to position where Penn State could use a little bit of help. Uh, moving out of the defensive line now to defensive end, uh, Penn State didn't, uh, it, it took a pair, it took four defensive ends, two of them, as we mentioned, see what the other guys were going to move inside. Well, one of those potential defense ends, it's a little unsure what's going to end up happening with him positionally. Zariah Fisher, 
uh, four-star number 348 nationally. Had a big, big, big move uh, in the recruiting rankings a little bit earlier this year where he went from, you know, a kid in the, you know, he was 834 in college football and he was able to jump up to where he is now at 348. Uh, from Alakipa, unsure what's going to happen with him. And then there's Bryce Mostella, who defensive end all the way, three-star number 596 nationally from Grand Rapids, Michigan. Uh, he's the kid who, Matt, we'll, we'll talk about both of them just really quickly. Mostella is the guy that I want, like, we're going to focus on as a defensive end because he obviously is going to be one. He's the guy in this class on offense or defense who it seems like if it all works out for him, I mean, it's it, it won't be an issue of making sure he is able to put it all together. Mentally, he seems like a really sharp kid or someone who really has a good motor on the football field. It's mostly just a matter of whether he's able to put together a frame that is able to play football at this level. And if he can do that at six foot seven with those long arms, with his motor, man, it seems like this kid has the potential to be really special. Yeah, I think, um, one, he's the most fascinating player off the field in this class. As we talked about um, on our, our signing day podcast about a month ago, um, just you know, take a scroll down his Twitter to, to see what we're talking about or his commitment video. Um, but I think on the field, he, he, like I said, really epitomizes what this class is big picture as far as really, really raw, but really, really full of potential. Um, he's six, seven, two thirty-five. um, was his, his listed height and weight when he, he signed last month on campus. Now he's a guy you file away his name for a couple years outside of his Twitter feed and just kind of wait to see what happens. Um, terrific athlete. You know, you, you see, you see what the coaching staff sees pretty quickly on his highlight tape. Um, just a guy that's, that's has all the, the natural ability, but doesn't really understand how to use it all yet. Um, and especially when you get into, you know, the big, Ten, the big 10 schedule with the Ohio States and Michigan's and uh, potential playoff games and, and New Year's six bowls down the road, you don't get, you don't get by on, on just that alone, but he physically, you know, at six, seven has really long arms, um, is really quick. And I think, if you give him a couple years with Dwight Galt and his his band of scientists and Sean Spencer as far as on-field technique, um, not saying it's going to happen, but if it does, the sky is really the limit for him. He's just um, an, an absurdly naturally gifted athlete. It, it, it's funny. I while you were speaking, I looked at his uh, I looked at his twenty four seven player comparison. Uh, and the comp that they made was Marcus Davenport of the New Orleans Saints, who uh, he's a guy, 6'6", 265. Uh, he was drafted in the first round, and he made uh, the Pro Football Writers of America all-rookie team as a you know his first year in the league. This year, he uh, his season ended a little bit earlier than he would have liked, but his comp... and you never want to put too much stock into these comparisons, uh, not to rag on 24 seven because they're, uh, I mean, Matt and I are in agreement that they're the best in the business in this, but their number two player in their top two, four, seven, his, uh, pro comparison is Jamarcus Russell. So you always want to make sure you're pumping the brakes on that. And you're always staying realistic with that and knowing that's in the eye of, you know, a person or a couple of people, whatever it might be. Having said that, he's still getting a comp to a really, really good football player and a guy who I take into the first round of the NFL draft. He puts, like Matt mentioned, he puts it all together. He's able to get into a weight program that is that views him as something to build on, views what he has as something to build on. He's a guy that has the potential to be a really positive contributor. At the very least, like he's just a guy that I think you're going to want in the locker room because he's going to bring... Um, We'll call it a different perspective and a different way of looking at things when he, uh, well, you know, whenever just about anything will pop up. The other guy who it seems like he is going to be slated for playing defensive end, 
that oh, I do want to mention with Mustella, he is an early enrollee, so he is on campus right now, and I believe we mentioned this, uh, but Mulba and Brevard are also early enrollees. They are on campus right now. Other defensive potential defensive end of this class is Zariah Fisher, who is really interesting. Matt, he like we mentioned, he had that gigantic move uh, in the recruiting rankings as the year went on. Uh, Penn State was in a bit of a battle with I with Michigan State to land his commitment. He actually made uh, took his official to Michigan State in June, uh, and then waited until September to take an official uh, to Penn State. So, what nice little Big Ten battle there. And the thing that's so fascinating with him is that he see he everything I think you see of him, he doesn't come off as a defensive end. He comes off as a guy who's just really, really good at football and with what they have, what he looks like he's going to be uh, physically, they're just going to get him on campus and put him at defensive end. Yeah, and I think we, we've got him slated there among other reasons because that's kind of where we project him ultimately. Um, it should be noted though that when he was announced as um, a signee back in December that um, they, they I believe they considered him a linebacker. Um, it just, it's hard for me to look at a guy that's already 6'3", 255 and imagine him staying there. Um, especially when you envision what maybe 15 more pounds with his athleticism can become, um, as an edge rusher, but that, that'll be something interesting to watch. I think he's one of those guys where, um, like you said, Bill, you find, you, you get him on campus and then you figure out where he goes later. Um, you just, you put on his highlight tape and he just, you, you can see what kind of athlete he is, what kind of um, football instincts he possesses. Um, he's a guy that it wouldn't, especially depending on where he ends up on the field, wouldn't surprise me to see him play a little bit more than you might expect at this point. Um, just because you, you see a football player and I, and I hate, I hate cliches like that because it doesn't really mean anything ultimately, mm-hmm. but I think, when, but I think it's, when not, you watch, it's something you, you, everyone knows what it means. Like he's yeah, just I, good at football, which yeah, everyone yeah. is to one extent or another. But when you have a guy who, you, you know, you kind of have to figure out what he is on the football field, and you can chalk it up to that more or less. Exactly. I think you you see a guy that knows how to get to the ball carry. You see a guy that um, you know diagnoses plays from a linebacker position. Um, that you you need guys like that, and I think. Um, one of the things that that jumped out to me with his just general recruitment is the fact that Penn State was on him when we he was barely a top 1,000 player in the country, and then um, two four seven reevaluated him later in the fall and he just shot up 500 spots in the composite rankings. I believe he's top 200 or maybe 150 on on the two four seven individual rankings. So you you see the staff knows what they're looking for to a large degree. And sometimes guys put together sooner and, and like they do in Fisher's case. And sometimes it takes guys longer, you know, after they're on campus and, and their, their actual star ranking doesn't update. But I, I think what we've seen in, in the now six years that James Franklin's been in happy Valley is kind of epitomized by Zariah Fisher. They know what they're looking for as far as football players. And it doesn't always pan out, but it feels like there's a lot more hits than misses. And um, Fisher is just that that kind of guy that, um, you know, they they saw the big picture probably a little bit before other people did, um, whether it be from from highlight tapes or camp visits or, or just, you know, being able to watch him in person. Yeah, it's, a, it, it's something that you – in a way, you kind of have to do this with everyone – Every kid in recruiting, uh, you have to especially do it with the kids who are more of projects, you know, the ones that I mean, we've mentioned a few, the ones who are a little bit, bit further down the picking order in this class. But you really do just have to put your faith in the coaching staff with a guy like Fisher. And you basically have to hope that they're going to go, listen, we know how good he is. We know how talented he is. We trust that he is just going to figure something out. And we're our job is to put him in positions where he could do that. Because we think he's going to be able to positively influence our football team in a way that, you know, it was worth getting in on him when he was still a kid in the eight and nine hundreds in recruiting rankings to see where he is now and what he could possibly be down the road. Uh, moving on to linebacker, uh, there are two members of the class here. 
Tyler Elsden, uh, three-star, number 548 nationally from Ashwin, Pennsylvania. He is an early enrollee. He's on campus right now. Uh, all that. And then, uh, with, with all due respect to Tyler, uh, we're going to spend a little bit of time talking about him and a bit more on this guy. Uh, the crown jewel of this class, four-star, uh, number 35 nationally by 24-7's composite. Today he earned his fifth star on 24-7's rating as the number two outside linebacker in college football, the number 24 player, or number two player in his class, outside linebacker in his class, number 24 player. It just overall, from Owings Mills, Maryland, Curtis Jacobs, we'll get to him in a second. I hate, like, I want to give this moment to Tyler Elsden right here because while, you know, he is a three-star on the composite, he's a four-star on uh, 24-7's uh, individual rating, Matt, when I watch him, I see just, he, he's one of those guys you're going to plug him in at linebacker and he's going to know what to do and he's not going to be this world-beating athlete. I mean, Penn State's linebacking core has some guys who are just absolute freaks, but he's, if he's the Jan Johnson, a better version of the Jan Johnson, uh, Brandon Smith type, uh, original Brandon Smith type, where you're just a really smart linebacker who is able to be in the position that you need to be in. He's, he's a guy who's going to be playing for this team. Oh, absolutely. And I think, among other things, um, I really like that he earned his offer in camp. Um, there's a number of other guys like that here, but he kind of epitomizes that. Um, I think he camped two or three times um, over the summer for Brent Pry and the, and the defensive coaching staff before he got that offer. Um he is a way better athlete than I think he gets credit for when you read some of the the scouting reports on him. Um, he's not, not an elite athlete like the guy we're going to talk about here in a minute, but he's he's way better than he gets credit for, in my opinion. Um, and I think he's, like you said, a, a, a smart football player, um, which is, you know, especially at linebacker and a guy that you're planning on potentially plugging in in the middle of the, the field, is, is a, a smart player, diagnosis plays well, gets um, you know potentially on the road gets the, the team in and out of the, the right call um, with, with that those smarts um, he reminds me a lot of Ellis Brooks in a sense um, where I think um, potentially if he had had a more active recruitment you would have seen him maybe have a little bit higher ranking on on rivals and ESPN as well like you said Bill he's a four star on on 24/7 Um He's not a guy you're going to see right away, especially when you look at some of the talent in front of him in the last couple of classes. But like we said up front, this is a guy that provides really solid depth down the road, and maybe he does take another step or two above what it, what you expect at this point and become you know a, a bigger factor down the road. Um, but because of those guys they recruited over the last couple of years, you have the, the luxury um, of, of waiting to see what, what he does become. Um, but he, he's the kind of player I think every team needs at linebacker, um, whether he's starting or not, um, that just, you know, he's a local kid, wanted to play football at Penn state, went out and got it. And I think a lot of times you see kids like that are going to you know do whatever it takes to, to, to get on the field and, and make themselves better players. Yeah. I, you have to have those got those guys in your program who, I, I mean, one, know what it means to put on the uniform, love the school, love the school even before they committed to it and learned about it and all that. But also just have those instincts, have that football IQ, and also are able to back that up with some amount of talent so that if you need them to be on the field, they're going to be guys who are able to contribute positively. Um, Again, I really don't, I kind of feel bad almost glossing over Elsden, but the guy in this recruiting class, uh, Curtis Jacobs, continuing what has been an absolutely ridiculous, ridiculous run of linebacker recruiting for the Nittany Lions. Uh, Micah Parsons, Lance Dixon, Brandon Smith, and now Curtis Jacobs is the next guy in that mold of game changers at linebacker. Right? Matt, this dude... He really, really is just a missile. Like he, he he's going to get in. He's going. I think he's going to get in. He's going to be one of those guys who kind of he, he's going to wow what he does with what he shows 
as a true freshman with just his physicality, his speed, his athleticism, that kind of thing. Has the like he has what you want as a collegiate outside linebacker, and he hasn't stepped on campus yet. Yeah, I think um, he's a kid that the the athletic ability was absolutely never in doubt. Um, you you throw on his tape for, as a sophomore or junior, and you see that that elite athleticism that that quite frankly very few players in every class have. Um, you know, he plays wide receiver. You think he played a little bit of running back, um, played all over the field. The question was always going to be, can he play linebacker? And boy, did he answer that question as a senior. And that's really what accounts for that meteoric rise up the the recruiting charts. I think he was he went from outside the top 100 or even further on 247 to inside the top 25 now um, because of what he did on tape as a linebacker this year um, as, a, as a high school senior, what he did at camps, um, and well, still maintaining that that level of uh, level of athleticism that we talked about, um, he reminds me um, kind of a combination of Brandon Smith and Lance Dixon, the two, the two five star kids in, in last year's class at linebacker. Um, Dixon is just you know again that elite level athlete. He um, I think and this is just you know semantics from watching huddle video is Dixon's probably a little bit better overall athlete, um, which is saying something. But I think where Jacobs makes up for it is he's further ahead as far as learning to play linebacker than Dixon is. And that's why you didn't see Dixon play this year. So it's kind of combining that that high-level athleticism of, of a guy like Dixon with what Brandon Smith brought in last year, where a guy who had that experience playing linebacker, who, oh yeah, by the way, is still a great athlete himself. Um, and you, you look, um, you know, this coming year, you're, you know, for all intents and purposes will be Micah Parsons last year on campus. It's not inconceivable in the least to see a scenario in, in a couple of years where Penn state is going, you know, five-star, five-star, five-star at starting linebacker with a fourth, fifth, fourth, five-star player backing them up. And it's, you know, one of those, uh, I guess, uh, um, I might've, I might've miscounted there. Um, but regardless, it's the, the level of talent that, um, has come in at a position where just a couple of years ago we were wondering, you know, kind of what was going on mm-hmm. with the, the lack of, of not just talent, but the lack of depth even. You know, the numbers were so, so thin. And now just in the course of a couple of recruiting classes, they've become, you know, probably from, from a, a, a high-level talent standpoint, the deepest spot on the roster. Yeah, I, I'm looking at the – the, the guys who were listed at linebacker in the uh, on the 2016 team, Naeem Wortman-White, he ended up getting hurt. Uh, Brandon Bell and Jason Cabinda, we knew Brandon Bell and Jason Cabinda were both excellent football players by that point. And then it was a lot of guys, Koa Farmer, Jarvis Miller, they both contributed. Uh, Cam Brown was a true freshman. Jake Cooper was a sophomore. Uh, Brandon Smith was a redshirt junior. He was a nice player. Uh, Manny Bowen, up and down. Like, it's something that I don't think that it's kind of lost to lost to history because of how they've responded. There was a time where there was a question about whether or not, like what was wrong with Penn state's linebacker recruiting. And in the last four classes, it's been Micah Parsons, who is the best linebacker in college football, Jesse Lukita and Ellis Brooks, two guys who have been, you know, rock steady in the moments that they've been called on, even if it hasn't been all that much. Charlie Catcher, a guy who, you know, jury's still out on him. Lance Dixon and Brandon Smith, two guys who were potential superstars. And then Curtis Jacobs, potential superstar. Tyler Eldsden, potential very good player for this program. There's There has been a lot happening at linebacker for Penn State lately. And Jacobs is the guy who's going to fill it. I'm glad that you mentioned how, uh, you know, the in the 2021 season... Like, there's a realistic scenario in which Penn State's starting linebackers are three five-stars. Like, Brandon Smith and Lance Dixon are guys who could potentially be starting in two years. Curtis Jacobs is a guy who could potentially be starting in one year. This is going to be... This is just a really, really crazy, talented position group. Uh, And it's one that, uh, you know, we're going to be talking... We want to talk about you know, the players, but I think a little bit more largely, I just want to focus on this linebacker group. 
one thing that I think Penn State fans generally hang their hats on above basically everything else uh, in terms of what it has on its football team are linebackers and good linebacker play. It is linebacker you. And it's really hard as I look at what Penn State has done recently to sit, to not be able to say this is linebacker you and this is them being the best version of linebacker you at a time when they could really, they need, a, you know, two or three years ago, it was desperate that they needed to get talent in this position. Oh, yeah. And it's, it's, um, it's not going anywhere anytime soon either. You know, we, we in a couple of weeks we'll be breaking down the the 2021 class, and you you see the names that are already high on Penn State at linebacker. And I think very quickly, um, I think Micah Parsons deserves a lot of credit because you everyone's seen what he's become in just two years, being brand new to the position, and they're they're seeing what what that position can can open up for you at Penn State. Um, but it's just it's. It's that elite level athleticism coupled with the the solid depth that is really, I think, if if you if Penn State could have that at every position, I think that that's the goal is you you're starting that elite talent in there backed up by by really solid players in their own right. And nowhere is that more evident than linebacker. Uh, sorry, I. I, I turn the volume up at the TV at the wrong point. Uh, moving to cornerback, uh, a position that Penn State didn't really get a gigantic infusion of talent in this class, uh, in part because they just they didn't particularly need to have that. They have some talent at cornerback. They're only losing John Reed from that group. Uh, brought in a ton of cornerback talent last year. Uh, and they're, they've, you know, one, two, three, they, they potentially six guys at that position already, but they went out and they got, uh, another guy who's coming in and who is already on campus right now as an early enrollee three slash four star, uh, cornerback, the number 382 player in the nation by 24, seven sports composite, Joseph Johnson, uh, from Virginia, uh, Matt, correct me if I'm wrong. He was a flip from NC State. Is that correct? Yeah, he had decommitted before okay. he, he committed, but yeah, he was a one-time NC State uh, verbal commit. And he is the latest in what has been a bit of a trend uh, with Penn State's recruiting at cornerback, cornerback, where it seems like they've enjoyed getting in bigger, more physical guys. He comes in at six foot two, 175, has to add some weight onto that frame. Uh, but he's a guy who he's an early as an early enrollee. If he, uh, you know, he'll have a bit of a head start. But he seems like a guy who can really benefit, and it might not be the worst idea to give him that year to get used to uh, life in college football because there really is no need to rush him. Yeah, I think he's probably on the defensive side of the ball. If I had to pick one of these um, under the radar kids that I think um, can really become a, a, a big time player down the road. It's probably him. Um, I'm going to parrot a little bit of what uh, Steve Wiltfong of 24-7 said earlier this month, talking about some under-the-radar kids of a number of schools that he thought um, could develop into to stars down the road. And Johnson was a kid at Penn State that he mentioned. Bill, you, t- you talked about the, the big frame, 6'2", 175 already. Um, you know, he's obviously going to add some weight to that. Um, just a freak of an athlete um we have it in his commitment article um or, or um sign day article i should say a, a tweet of a video that he posted of him doing a 62 inch box jump um after an hour of conditioning who does um, he think he is me uh i can jump 6.2 inches after like yeah doing if I, nothing if i jump over a piece of paper i pull a hammy so um but it's you know he's Obviously, that the athleticism is there. I think one of the biggest questions for him has been the the quality of opponent. Um, he plays at a small school, Life Christian Academy in Virginia, that um, just hasn't faced that elite level of of high school competition. So there's, I think, a, a bit of a fair question about how does that athleticism ultimately translate. But I think um, he checks all the boxes. Else, otherwise, um, when when you look for, I think. Um, 
what you've seen for, from Ohio State, for example, with a kid like Jeff Okuda or, or Sean Wade, Damon Arnett, um, and, or some of the kids that have come, come before them at Ohio State with that elite, elite secondary play, um, which is really, um, you know, one one or two as far as priorities on, on, on a defense of having those guys that can lock down outside the way the game's played now. Um, Johnson, I think, has the the potential to, be, to develop into that with a little bit of patience. Um, he has the size, he has the athleticism. It's just now a matter of putting it all together. Yeah, and it's it, it's kind of the thing that you always see with big corners. The concern is always how they're going to be able to handle, uh, you know, quicker, smaller, faster uh, pass catchers. And it seems like, like you said, he needs a bit of polish on him and Wolf to see what ends up happening. Uh, happening with him but it seems like Johnson is the kind of guy with his athletic ability that if he is able again he takes that time and he's already he's in a college strength and conditioning program right now which is probably going to be really really good for him uh to develop that stuff he's someone who can have an impact and uh play a whole lot of football for Penn State over the next couple of years if you had to guess is he a guy we're going to see like he seems like a guy that going to take advantage of the four redshirt game rule of just with, uh, you know what he has to add to what he they might want him to add to his frame, uh, learning collegiate college football, all those sorts of things. Sound about right? Oh, for sure. And I think um, when you look at the depth chart ahead of him, there's five guys with returning experience in front of him, um, and I'm gonna see if I can do this on the fly. Treat Castro Fields. Um, Donovan Johnson, who's, who's missed time to injury, but has been effective when he's been in, um, Marquise Wilson, Keaton Ellis and, um, Trent Gordon, who we've heard some rumblings could, could move to safety, well, but even then there's also a Joey Porter jr. True. I, he, but he was able to maintain the red shirt this year, but oh, yeah, so he, right. he, he slots in as, as a classmate with him essentially on the depth chart, um, this first year. So I think, um, the injuries that Penn State suffered at, at cornerback this year was almost a blessing in disguise in a sense to get guys like Wilson and Ellis meaningful experience. And I think long-term they and the team will benefit from that. But I think it also allows you to to bring a guy like Johnson along more slowly because those guys, you know, Wilson and Ellis have at least two more years, you know, if not three, if they stay, you know, through their senior seasons. Um, you know, Donovan Johnson, we'll see how he shakes out after the the – you know, apparent bad injury suffered early on last year. Um, and you still got Joey Porter there. Trent Gordon, um, you know, may or may not be at cornerback when spring ball opens. Um, like I mentioned a couple of minutes ago. So it's, it's become a, a very deep position, but I think where he stands out is that size. And, um, you know, I, I don't think you see it this year because they've got enough options that I think can be effective. But I wouldn't be surprised, um, you know, as a redshirt freshman, if you see him, if he's he's kind of figured things out enough where you see him getting quite a bit of, of playing time just because he brings an element to that group that especially the younger kids like Ellis and Wilson don't necessarily have. And final position uh, on the defensive side of the balls, we're going through everyone in Penn State's National Signing Day class. Safety, a uh, position that is going to be losing Garrett Taylor from last year's rotation, a guy, you, you know, it's only one name, but it's a guy who played a whole hell of a lot of football for the Nittany Lions. Still have Jaquan Brisker and Lamont Wade. They still have Jonathan Sutherland, and they have Tyler Rudolph in the uh, waiting in the wings. But Penn State went out and got the best defensive player who in terms of recruiting ranking who is an early enrollee which is Enzo Jennings a four star number 134 nationally from Michigan uh, and then they also dipped into the junior college ranks uh, to get Jair Brown uh, three star number 18 nationally among Juco players uh, from New Jersey originally also an early enrollee and he attended uh, Lackawanna, oh wait, no, not an early role, we apologize, attended uh, Lackawanna Community College uh, in Pennsylvania. Matt, starting with Brown, uh, second year in a row, Penn State has decided to dip into the junior college ranks to get a little bit, get some reinforcements uh, in their secondary. 
I'd be really surprised if we don't see Brown kind of follow uh, a similar path if he's physically ready to what we saw of Jaquan Brisker, where he's going to play, they're going to pick his spots, they're never going to rely on him in the biggest moments, but uh, with Wade, with Brisker, with Sutherland, and with potentially Rudolph being a guy who uh, is able to play after taking the red shirt for a year, it seems like Brown is going to be able to get some snaps even if they aren't uh, even if they aren't necessarily plentiful. Yeah, I, th- I think that makes sense. And I think um, the reason for going after another Juco is, um, you know, Brisker and Wade are, are, are gone after this year. So you, you know, potentially went into the 2021 season to get a little ahead of ourselves here with n- not a whole lot of depth at the upper levels of your depth chart there. Um, and so I think one of the reasons why you're going to see Trent Gordon get a look at safety um, just because they kind of have a bit of a, a void um, on the depth chart. So um, Brown is a kid that does have a red shirt year available if they decide to use it, but it seems you, you don't bring Juco kids in for the most part to red shirt. Um, and I say that knowing full well that Anthony Wigan, the offensive tackle from Lackawanna, just did that for Penn State this year. But I, I don't think you bring a safety in like Brown um, to, to sit on the bench for a year unless – you know, he proves that he's just not ready or, and, or a guy like Tyler Rudolph, um, you know, takes a big step. Um, Penn state likes to, to rotate at safety. Um, and I think you, you need four guys there that can play and you've got three with Brisker Wade and, and John Sutherland. And I think the question is, is really, um, you know, whether Tyler Rudolph, whether Trent Gordon, if he makes that switch could, we're re- going to be ready to, to be that fourth guy, um, at, at either of the safety sp- or the safety spot in general between the two positions. And so I think Brown fills a, an important need there. Um, you would love to have him on campus a little bit earlier than he will be, but um, I, I think you see him brought along much like Brisker was this year. I'm assuming he, he comes in, you know, in a, in a similar place as far as um, readiness to play. Uh, and then in a guy who might not necessarily be ready to play quite yet, we have Jennings who, uh, while I was looking at his numbers, 6'1", 185, I went, that, that, that seems a little bit slight for uh, a defensive starter in college football. So I decided to go and I decided to look up uh, Lamont Wade, and Lamont Wade is 5'9", and 199 pounds. So I think Dwight Galt's going to have uh, some fun with... Uh, with, with Mr. Jennings, uh, real quick, uh, Garrett Taylor was, yeah, six foot and 198 pounds. So Enzo Jennings, he, uh, we, we might need to get him on a diet of, are you hungry and creamery chocolate milk? Uh, but having said that, if he is able to bulk up and keep some of the athletic gifts that, you know, he just has along I mean, because, you know, he seems like a guy who's going to want to have his nose in a lot of things, which is what you really want out of uh, safety. If he's able to build on his frame and keep his athleticism, he seems like a guy who, even if, again, they take advantage of the redshirt rule with him this year, he's going to play a lot of football for Penn State, and he's going to play a lot of meaningful football really, really well for Penn State over the course of however long he is in State College. Oh, for sure, and I think... um because of what they've been able to, to, to kind of plug in depth ahead of him, you're not going to look for him to, to play this year unless he, he proves he's ready. And, and Penn State's coaching staff has proven that if you're, if you're ready to play, they're gonna, you're going to get your opportunity. But I think Jennings is, has the athleticism, which is kind of a recurring theme for, for this entire defensive class. To, to play right now, but where, where he needs to, to get better, certainly in the, in the size and strength. Um, and I think he, he needs to improve as a, a coverage man. And he started to take that step at the end of the year. I think um, he made a pretty big move overall up the rankings with his performance at um, one of the, the All-American Bowl games um, back in December, early January, where I think he really surprised some people with how well he, he performed in coverage, especially in the practices, which are kind of the, the more important parts from an evaluation standpoint of those, those all American games is, is how they look in practice. Um, he really you know, took a step forward there from what you had seen. Um, but he's got, you know, he's a four, six, 40 kid, four Oh six shuttle um, over a, th- a 37 inch vertical. So he's got, got all the athletic tools. 
And like you said, Bill, once Dwight Galt gets his hands on him, he's he's proven that um, if he has got a, a really good ball of clay to work with from an athletic standpoint, he can push the right buttons and, and maintain and improve those numbers while also adding you know, the important muscle strength and, and overall size. Uh, real real quick, just because you would know this better than me, how is the – he is from Oak Park, went to – uh, Oak Park, Oak Park, Michigan went to Oak Park High School. How was the uh, How was the level of competition that he faced in uh, in high school? He would have played um, Michigan. It kind of revolves from year to year, depending on the the um, the makeup of the class. It's, and when they get they they don't really do a, a division ranking until the end of the season. It's it's kind of weird. They'll take the top. Um, I can't remember how many teams it is in the state, and they'll just divide them up by. You know the the 16 biggest are Division One, the next 16 biggest are Division Two, et cetera. Uh, but Oak Park's one of the bigger suburbs of Detroit. Um, there's a couple more kids actually in this year's the 2021 class from there. So it's a, it's a program that's produced Division One talent. Um, so he's he would have played you know the, the bigger schools you know in the Detroit area and around Michigan. So um, I don't think the level of competition that he would have faced would be a huge concern. And then like I said, you. You saw him against in some of those best on best moments at the All American Games, you know, proving that that he's he's up there with those kinds of players. Is that the school that uh, Rob Bolden or Allen Robinson went to? No, that is um, Orchard Lake St. Mary's. Okay. okay, I knew it was something with an O in uh, in Michigan. Uh, we've been rambling on for quite some time about teenagers, so we're going to wrap this up really quickly. Uh, I propose to Matt that we end this by just doing top threes of players in this class. We're going to do two categories. Uh, first up, we're going to do the top three most promising uh, players in this class, and then we're going to do the top three ready-now players in this class. Uh, let's start with promising, Matt. Who are the three guys, uh, three to one, who, uh, as you look down the road, you see guys who are going to potentially be really, really good football players for this Nittany Lion team. I'm going to go in, in order from three to one. Uh, I'll start with Bryce Mostella. Um, th- th- he's probably got the biggest um, question mark of whether he puts it all together just because you haven't really seen it yet. But you just look at at the, the raw size and just the natural athleticism. It's hard to imagine that um, between Sean Spencer and Dwight Galt, they don't they don't f- find a way to to tap in all that potential. Um, I will go with um, guy we were talking about. Enzo Jennings is number two, um, just because I think he's um, has a lot of the traits that Penn State has been lacking at safety since since maybe even Marcus Allen to be that complete player. Um, I think again once he he puts it all together um, from a, an overall standpoint of of uh, adjusting the position and, and putting on size. Um, he can be a really good one. And then uh, the guy, I kind of think I kind of hinted at what my answer would be to this uh, would be uh, the cornerback, Joseph Johnson, who just um, jumps off the page with his, his natural ability um, and just needs to kind of, kind of harness it a little bit and, and point it in the right direction. But um, certainly all the tools are there for, for all three of those guys um, and a number of others, but those are, I guess my top three. Yeah. For me, number three, uh, Enzo Jennings, I, I think everything you touched on with him is, um, you, you know, is accurate. Number two for me is Zariah Fisher, just because I think once they figure, once he gets settled into a position and once they get a chance to kind of mold him a bit into what they want in that position, I think he's just going to be too talented uh, to not be able to help this team. And then number one, I have I have Mustella. Like, re- remember last year how I went all in on Noah Kane? Well, this is the kid that I'm going all in on and I am one for one on that working for me, and I am ideally going to be two for two. Uh, ready now? Who are the? Uh, I think we're naturally going to be uh, a little bit more biased towards. Uh, well, not necessarily. We might might not be more biased towards kids who end up being early enrollees. So, who are your uh, top three ready now players in this class for Penn State? Uh, I'll go with uh, Cole Brevard, number three. Um, I'm not sure if he, he becomes a, a, a regular this year, but I think um, from just a an overall um, ready-to-play standpoint, he's right there. Um, I'm going to go with number two, Zariah Fisher, because I think um, I just have this sneaking suspicion that, like I said earlier, he's a guy that, that checks all the boxes, and it's going to be 
it feels like it's gonna be hard to keep him off the field because I think he is just gonna kind of force the coach's hands um, ultimately um, before before it's all said and done. And then it's hard to go against Curtis Jacobs as number one just with um, you know what he showed over the last twelve months from kind of bringing it all together at an elite level, not only as an athlete but now as as a kind of true one hundred percent linebacker. Uh, yeah, for me, we have the exact same number three. Uh, it is it's Cole Brevard. Like I, I think with his being an early enrollee, uh, I think that's something that's going to really, uh, like you mentioned, I think that they have talent at defensive tackle. Um, Antonio Shelton seems like a pretty solid bet. Antonio Shelton, and PJ Musfer are going to be your two starters, uh, and then Damian Barber, Fred Hansard. Uh, Judge Culpepper, maybe one of the freshmen are able to get some run. Like they have bodies there, but I think that he's someone that, with his size, with his physicality, and with the fact that he's an early role, he's he has the potential to get a chance. Uh, you know, hopefully Enzo, Enzo Jennings could be number two. Uh, he's able to put on some put on some weight here. But for me, two and one are Curtis Jacobs, like freak, freak of nature. He he's awesome. Like he's. Curtis Jacobs is the kind of guy, and we saw this with Brandon Smith last year. Uh, didn't see it with Lance Dixon, even though it seemed like he had, you know, he had the talent to do this. They decided to take things slow with him because they didn't need him. Jacobs just seems like the kind of kid who has the talent you cannot keep off the field, and I would not, even with all the talent that Penn State has at linebacker, he seems like a guy who you can toss on. To the field, and he'll find a way to make an impact. Um, any 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 parting thoughts? Are we uh, we good to wrap up this hour of chatter about teenagers who decided to put on uh, a Nittany Lion hat? I think we're out of words for about seven days before we do this all over again with the uh, the fifteen guys on offense. Oh, we're doing uh, we're doing that in seven days. Damn! All right, I get some. We're gonna make well, one. Yeah, I actually. Yeah, we'll talk about that later. Uh, thank you, everyone, for. Listening to this edition of Roar Lions Radio, we really appreciate, as always, the support that we get from you guys. Always appreciate all the listeners we get. Make sure you're heading onto our various podcast platforms and you're subscribing. Uh, if one of those podcast platforms is, uh, it's no longer iTunes. It is now Apple Podcasts. You're going to Apple Podcasts. Make sure you're leaving us a review. Make sure you're following us on all of our various social media channels. Uh, we, as of this writing, as of this podcast, are at 9,441 followers on Twitter. We want to get up to 10,000, and I am willing to be as unhinged as possible on Twitter if that means uh, it means you're going to follow us. So please go there and do that. Uh, make sure you're reading and supporting the site. And, of course, the best way to support the site is always to buy T-shirts one last time, thank you very much for listening to this edition of Roar Lions Radio. For my co-host, Matt DeBear, I'm Vilda Filippo. Take care, everyone.